Well, good morning. I want to pray for us again because kind of like last Sunday, I feel, I'm feeling the weight of this message this morning. We're going to talk about temptation, right? Some of you are like, oh man, I don't battle temptation. Well, before you get too far with that, let me pray for us and then we're going to get honest, all right? God, thank you so much for today. and God, thank you that we can um, come to your house Thank you that we can leave the mask at the door. Thank you that this is a place where we can be real and still be loved. And God, I pray that you um, would speak to our hearts today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So hi, my name is Travis, and I have a problem. Some of you guys are like, duh. Um, <clears throat> let me tell you a little bit about my problem is, is something that, that, that uh, has driven Kristen crazy for a long time and made her probably feel on multiple levels that she has five kids and not just four. Um, but have you, ever, have you ever been in a, in a doctor's office, right? Have you ever been in a doctor's office or like maybe an emergency room experience or a hospital room experience and, and, and um, there are all these buttons, that need to be pressed, right, Carrie? I mean, you're a nurse, Carrie, so you must get this all the time. And the blood pressure, or the blood pressure cord that just goes in, it's so much fun to play with. Like, you snap it. Ezra and I were in the, in the doctor's office one time. It was just he and I, and so we didn't have Kristen there to babysit us. And, um, and, and so we were pulling that blood pressure cord down and letting it go and seeing if we could reach the ceiling. It was awesome. You know, if you want to get seen by your doctor quicker, make a bunch of noise and try to break stuff. They'll get you out of there. Um, it's amazing. But um, I, I, I have this thing and, 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 and I, you know, just, I don't know how often they're checking those things to make sure they work, right? I'm not sure how often. So I feel like I'm doing them a service. I'm helping them out by making sure the alert button still, still works and making sure that if I turn that valve, oxygen does indeed come out, right? Because if it doesn't, then there's a problem. There's an issue that they need to be made aware of. So I'm serving them. I'm helping them out. It's free help, you know? Um, other situations, when, when we're walking around different places and, and I see wet paint, I touch it. How wet is it? Is it dry? Can this sign come down yet? Because if it can, I can walk in the store and say, hey, that wet paint sign out there is dry. You're good. You can take your sign down. Everything, everything's dry. You're all, you're all set. Some of you think I'm kidding. I'm dead serious. And, and if Kristen was here, she'd be nodding her head very vigorously this morning. Because that, to me, is temptation. If you tell me not to do something, if you tell me not to touch something, or if something just is, is multicolored, like in a doctor's office, like this means red, that must be really intense. Let's press that. You know? Or if this one's green, probably, eh, whatever. You know? And so like, and, and, and I love it. And it just screams to me, touch when I probably shouldn't touch it, right? We're going to talk about temptation this morning. I already mentioned that. And in the Lord's Prayer, it fits right after 
the provision, the pardon, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That's the provision. And forgive us our trespasses as we've also forgiven our debtors. For, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Some translations will say trespasses. And then verse 13 there we see, and lead us not into temptation. So we've got the, 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 the provision, we've got the pardon, and then now, now it, it transitions a little bit here, and we're just going to take the first part of that verse in verse 13 and lead us not into temptation. It's transitioning into the action. This is when we transition into the asks of our prayer, these supplications, the supplications. This is where I need your help, God, in my life. And so, three things that I want to talk about, and we, we've already kind of alluded to it before we prayed, three, three things, three points, three whatever that I want to throw out there before we dive into this a little bit deeper that we just need to come to grips with when it comes to temptation. The first one is this, temptation is common, everybody say common, to everyone. Temptation is common to everyone. Everyone, if I'm sitting with you and, and, and I was listening to a podcast this past week on vulnerability and, and it, was, it, was, it was amazing, the pastor that was talking, he said, he said, if someone, you know, isn't completely honest with me or tells me that everything's great, then I, I have a problem trusting them. I have trouble trusting them because the reality is there is temptation in every person's life. We can't cover that up. Now, we can, we can talk about how prevalent it is in this season of your life, but let me tell you this. If you take me to a buffet, I'm going to start sweating. Big time. Big time. Big time. And, and I had an experience a couple weeks ago where um, I, I went to a buffet for a birthday lunch, and I had already eaten, and so I sat there, at the Super Great Wall China Buffet for like 15 minutes with a glass of water. Stare, I mean, it was, it was hard. And some of you are like, well, that's just sad. That's my temptation. But we could talk about your, temp, your temptations, and I, I would probably look and say, but the reality is, no matter what the level is, everyone is tempted. Everyone's tempted. It is common that we are tempted. The second thing that we got to come to grips with this morning is temptation is frequent in every life of every true believer. It's frequent in every life of every true believer, especially in the lives of those who are really doing something for the Lord. Especially in the lives of those who are really doing something for the Lord. You should not be surprised if the enemy brings up the same temptation over and over again, especially if you're really doing something for the Lord. I was reading this morning um, in, in this book that I'm, that I'm, that I'm loving, and, and uh, the guy talked about how his son had just graduated from college with a ministry degree. And he was so happy, and they got in the car, and his son looked at him and said, Dad, I'm ready for ministry. And his dad looked at him and said, no, you're not. And he's like, what? I just graduated. I even graduated with honors. I got the degree. I've got the certificate. And his dad looks at him and he's like, yeah, but you haven't suffered yet. You're not ready for ministry because you haven't suffered yet. You haven't experienced suffering. And the son was like, dad, you're crazy. You're crazy. 
And then five, six years later, when they circle back to that conversation, it was much different. It was a much different conversation. It was a much different conversation. Temptation is frequent in every life of every true believer. If you're doing something, guess what? Temptation is going to be there. The third thing that I want to mention before we go forward is this. Temptation is a battlefield. Everybody say battlefield. Battlefield that each of us has to emerge from. Temptation is a battlefield that each of us has to emerge from. So we're going to get a little deeper here this morning, but sooner or later, each and every one of us has to discover that being a Christian is a battleground, not a playground. We didn't sign up to play on the swing set. We didn't sign up to go down the slide. We didn't sign up to do these things. We signed up to fight. We signed up to put the gloves on, to tape up, and to go to battle. We didn't sign up for this downy, soft, Charmin, ultra-Christianity. It's not what we signed up for. We signed up for a battlefield. And I said it last week at the end of the message, don't fight the devil in the dark. Don't fight the devil in the dark. The biggest thing that we can do to win the victory over our temptation is to fight with other people. Where we struggle the most, I believe this in my heart of hearts with this, because of our lack of vulnerability to bring this full circle in the church, is that we're trying to fight the devil in the dark. We're trying to fight our temptation and overcome our temptation alone. And you weren't created for that. Look around you. I just told you that each and every person in this room is battling temptation. It may look different, it may smell different, it may taste different, it may feel different, but they're battling temptation. Ecclesiastes um, says there's nothing new under the sun. Hebrews talks about how Jesus experienced every type of temptation and yet remained without sin. Every type of temptation, every brand of temptation that we could face yet remain without sin. There's nothing new. We can bring everything back to realize that, you know what, I'm not alone in this. And so, so we've got to recognize, we've got to realize that, 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 that being a believer in Christ is a battleground, not a playground. So, to illustrate this, I was really battling this past week, even into this morning. God, is this the passage that you want me to deal with? I went to Ian on Thursday, and I said, Ian, this is where I'm thinking about going. I just you know, wanted to check with you, and he said, go for it. And so I kind of went for it, and I've been, uh, I've, I've been wrestling with it all weekend. And then this morning, the verse of the day on the Bible app is the verse that we're going to deal with. And it's almost like, hey... I got this. You just sit back and let me do my thing. So we're going to talk about the armor of God. We're going to talk about the armor of God. And somebody joked with me this morning, I don't have to sit in the service because I've got the armor of God. Well, yeah, but are you using it? We've probably seen the felt board messages in Sunday school class. We've probably heard message after message on the armor of God, and we probably know, we probably have seen the illustrations and, and, and done this or that. We may have even taught on it. But my question is, how equipped this morning are you with the armor of God? Did you dress yourself today in the armor of God? Ephesians chapter 6 
Verses 10 through 20 says this. Finally, Paul's finishing his letter to the church at Ephesus, and he finishes it this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That screams, let's pause right there for a second, that screams battle, doesn't it? That screams battle. There is an intense battle going on for my heart, for my soul, for this world, for the people around me, there is a battle going on and I better be equipped for it. And I love what Paul talks about here, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not the people in this room. Our battle is not our boss. Our battle isn't, isn't our, our families or our co-workers we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There is a battle that is going on. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be, be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. That's the third or fourth time he's, he's said to stand, or, or that you would be able to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes on, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now this, this is where he kind of transitions to wrap this up. And I want you to see here, I want you to see here that the energy in this whole thing, the energy in this whole thing is the prayer part. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, in the first part of this passage, we see that, that we face three enemies, right? He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We face three enemies. One, I would, I would yeah, three enemies. This will make more sense in just a moment. Bear with me for a second. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I would say the enemy is the overarching, and he uses the world and the flesh to tempt us in extreme ways. But let's talk about all three, because I believe Paul brings all three out here in the text. So let's talk about the world. When Paul talks about the world, he's referring to the system around us that is opposed to God. 
When Paul talks about the world, whenever he references the world in Scripture, in the New Testament, whenever we see the world referenced in, in, in opposition with the church, he's referring to the system around us that's opposed to God, that caters to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. 1 John 2, 15-17 talks about a society apart from God, a simple but accurate definition of the world. A system around us that's in opposition to God. You know anything like that today? Okay, let's keep going. Then he talks about the flesh. So this old nature, right, that we inherited from Adam, a nature that is opposed to God. And here's something that I want us to come to grips with, church, is that we are born, we are born with a sin nature, We are born with a sin nature. You are born into sin. Oh, so that's why my child acts like the devil. Yep, that's exactly right. I was listening to Jill Briscoe yesterday. She's like 80-something years old teaching at IF, and she talked about how her daughter went to bed at 12, and she woke up at 13, a different creature. And I thought, I thought that's what we were, I texted Kristen right away, I said, that's what we're dealing with at 10. And she's like, and then it lasted 14, 16, 17, 33, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. Like, Jesus is calling me home, like, it's not encouraging. But by his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame the world and the flesh and the devil. In other words, as believers, get this, we don't fight for victory. We don't fight for victory. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you're fighting from victory because we serve a God that's already won the victory. We claim the victory over the things that are in front of us because we serve a God that's already won the victory. The Spirit of God enables us by faith to take the victory of Jesus for ourselves. And so what does that mean when it comes to the flesh? We must walk in victory. I've already overcome. I'm an overcomer. And applying these truths this morning... My prayer is that we learn to start on the path of walking in victory, and then we talk about the enemy. We talk about the enemy. We talk about the enemy. Unless we identify and know who the enemy is, where he is, and what he can or cannot do, we're going to have a difficult time defeating him. Unless we identify who the enemy is, where he is, what he can or cannot do, we'll have a difficult time defeating the enemy. Not only in Ephesians 6, but throughout the whole Bible, God instructs us about the enemy, that there may be no reason for us to be caught off guard. Now, here's a reality that we have to come to grips with that is a common misconception in the church. You ready for this? God does not tempt. God does not tempt. He allows temptation, but he doesn't tempt. 
The best example of this for me in Scripture, um, one of my favorites, which kind of sounds sick if you know the whole story, but I love the story of Job. I love the story of Job. In the first few chapters of Job, when you read that the enemy goes to God and says, I want someone to tempt. Give me someone to tempt. And because Job was so righteous, right? Because Job was so close to God. Think about that. That if I'm so close to God, I'm not going to experience suffering. I'm not going to experience temptation. Go read Job. Because of his righteousness, because of his closeness with the Father, the, the, the devil then takes everything, and I mean everything, away from him. Everything away from him. But the enemy had to get permission to be able to tempt Job, to be able to take Job through what Job went through. The enemy has many different names. Devil means literally accuser because he's, he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. We talked about shame last week. We talked about, we talked about the, the, the shame that, 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 that we need to be forgiven from. Who do you think brings that shame back to mind when you're feeling good about yourself? Who, think, who do you think brings that shame back to mind when you hit the church parking lot after a, a, a message like, last week Satan means adversary because he's an enemy of God he's also called tempter and the murderer and a liar since he is a created being and not eternal as God is he is limited unlike God the enemy is not all-knowing he's not all-powerful or he's not even ever present. The important point here is that our battle is not against human beings, but it's against spiritual powers. So, now that we've talked about the enemy, let's talk about our equipment to fight our battles. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. So since we're fighting against the enemies in the spirit world, we need special equipment both for offense and defense. And God has provided the whole armor for us. And we dare not omit any part. We dare not omit any part. The whole armor of God. We look at verse 14 and we see the first piece. Having put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth truth. See, Satan's a liar, but the believer whose life is controlled by truth will defeat him. The belt held the other parts of the armor together. It's what keeps the whole thing together. The, and truth is the integrating force in the life of the victorious Christian. A man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. The belt also held the sword, which we'll get to in a minute. Unless we practice the truth, we cannot use the word of truth. Once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Example, how could God love me? How am I lovable? I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. 
God can't forgive this. All of those are lies in the spiritual Well, all of those are lies, period. And when we believe those lies, when we buy into those lies, guess what? We're not strapping ourselves with the belt of truth. That's why this prayer is so important. We talked about it in the beginning weeks because we remember, right, as Jesus lays out this prayer as Jesus lays out this prayer right he says our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as we're praying right we align our heart with God's heart we speak truth into our lives this is also an importance you guys are going to some of you aren't going to like this very much but this this piece of the armor is the reason that scripture memory is so important so important. Scripture memory is so important in our lives because when we're driving along and, and a lie starts to creep in, guess what? Just claim that scripture. Claim that scripture. Claim that scripture. Claim that scripture. The belt of truth. The second piece of armor that Paul talks about here, the breastplate of righteousness there, the, uh, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This piece of armor made of metal plates or chains covered the whole body from the neck to the waist, both the front and the back, and it symbolizes, it symbolizes our righteousness in Christ Jesus. It symbolizes our righteousness in Christ Jesus. See, Satan, we've already talked about it, he's the accuser, but he can't accuse the believer who is living a godly life in the power of the Spirit. The life we live either strengthens us against attacks of the enemy or it makes, us easy, or it, makes it easier for him to defeat us. And then we get to verse 15. And as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. I love this one. The shoes of the gospel. The Roman soldier wore sandals with hobnails in the soles to give him better footing for battle. If we're going to stand and withstand, then we need the shoes of the gospel. Because we have the peace of we have the peace with God that comes from the gospel. We need to fear the attack of, of Satan or men, but we must be at peace with God and with each other if we're to defeat the devil. But the shoes have another meaning. We must be prepared each day to share the gospel. The shoes of the gospel. Look at what Paul says there. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. We must be prepared to share the gospel. The most victorious Christian, you ready for this? The most victorious Christian is the believer who's sharing their faith. The person that is experiencing the most victory, even in their struggle, even in their suffering, is the person that is openly sharing about their victory. Therefore, sharing Christ with others. Because their perspective is right. Because they're looking out with the gospel. 
Because we take the gospel wherever we go, even in our struggle. And then Paul talks about in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Shield was large, usually about four feet by two feet, made of wood, covered with leather. The thing was heavy. And as a, shoulder, as, a, as a soldier held it before him, it protected him from spears and arrows and fiery darts. The edges of these shields were constructed so that the entire line of soldiers could interlock right? Talk about community. Talk about the importance of community. These shields would have been constructed so that mine and Jeff's and Herb's and Tom's and, 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 and all of ours, right, could, could fit together. They could fit together, right? Like, um, uh, what, what, do you, what do you call that type of wood that, that fits to, is it shiplap? Does that fit together? So many people, um, my, I'm, I'm channeling my inner chip gains there. Um, the, the, Tongue and groove, thank you. Tongue and... I don't think that's shiplap then, but whatever, okay? That was my effort at being magnolia, okay? All right, but, but, but the shields all fit together, right? They all fit together, which is important because we're much more vulnerable to the enemy's attacks if there's just one shield, four feet by two feet, right? But if all of us are holding those shields across, that's pretty intimidating, isn't it? And it's pretty comforting if we're behind that thing. Especially if I'm in the middle. But anyway, the shield of faith. It would have been tongue and groove. They would have fit together. It would have fit together. And then, verse 17, we see the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The enemy wants to attack the mind. You know the biggest trap that I see us falling into are the traps where we look and we tell ourselves, and even, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a lie to ourselves, but where we tell ourselves, you know what, I'm going to do this, even though it's sin, even though it's giving in to temptation, even though it's breaking this commitment that I made, because I deserve this. I've earned this. It's just one. I can handle this because I've earned this. I deserve this. And when we start to believe that, guess what? It's easy to earn another one. It's easy to deserve another one. Whatever, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. The enemy wants to get the mind, attack the mind. And this helmet refers to the mind controlled by God. The mind controlled by God. It's too bad. It's too bad that many of us have the idea that the intellect isn't important when it comes to Christ, but when in reality it plays a vital role in our growth, in our service, and in our victory. Not that we have to know it all, but we have to be growing in our knowledge. I don't know everything, but I hope I'm growing in my knowledge. 
And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit. I want you to see this. The sword is the only offensive weapon that God provides us. We've got five defenders here. Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, shoes, right, resources. But the sword is the only offensive weapon that God provides us. The soldier wore on his belt a short sword which was used for close in fighting. Hebrews 4.12 compares the word of God to a sword because it's sharp and able to pierce the inner man, the inner person, just as a material sword pierces the body. The better we know the word of God, the easier it is for us to battle. By faith, we put on the armor and trust God for the victory. And then we see, I mentioned it earlier, the transition here, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. For all the saints. For all the saints. Prayer is the power for victory. Prayer is the power for victory. When it comes to temptation... One of the things I read this past week as I was doing some research, have you ever heard the saying, opportunity knocks once? Opportunity only knocks once. Temptation knocks the door down. That's the importance for the full armor of God. Temptation isn't only going to knock once. It's going to knock the door down. It's going to knock the door down if we don't have the armor of God. As I was thinking about how to close this message, I thought of David. I thought of David and Goliath. And the thing that's always fascinated me about the story of David and Goliath is how when you think about David and Goliath, what do you think about? What do you think about? The stones, right? The five smooth stones, right? That would be perfect for skipping across the lake. Not today, obviously, because we live in Maine. But like in July, right? That's a lot of fun. Um, well, I guess it would skip quite a bit today on the ice. But anyway, moving on. What else do you think about? When you think of David and Goliath, what, what, what's something else you think about? The slingshot, right? The slingshot. The, this, little, this little guy, I was in, um, I was in Dominican Republic one time, uh, Kristen and I were down there on a mission trip, and we were serving families with disabilities, and we did this talent show the last night we were there, and the, the, the little boys and girls that were wanting to do a talent show, they wanted to do a play, and they wanted to act out the story that they were learning all week, which was David and Goliath. And so they came running to me one day while I'm trying to eat my rice um, with a bunch of cats walking around the cafeteria, which wasn't comforting because the cats kept disappearing a little bit by little bit throughout the week. And so I eat less and less meat. But anyway, um, uh, they came running to me one day during lunchtime. They were like, you Goliath, you Goliath. I'm like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, right? I haven't. I haven't done the Rosetta Stone thing. And the translator came over and they're like, they want you to play Goliath in the talent show tonight. I'm like, oh, so they want to kill me. (laughs) That's comforting. 
And so we were about to go, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever, just tell me what I got to do. They're like, they're going to they're gonna throw something at you, and you just have to fall down and play dead. Great, easiest play I've ever been a part of. I didn't have any speaking parts. I just had to, when this thing hit me, fall down and play dead. Now, right before the talent show started, we're getting all of our props together. They had real rocks. <laughs> and I looked at the translator and I said, Hey, no, and they're like, that's just for show. That's just, you know, for, for, for they're trying to make it look real. This is what we're really going to throw at you. Well, the time came for the big moment, and the kid picked up a rock. And so at that point, I took a speaking part <laughs> and said, whoa, you're supposed to grab the other one. He didn't understand what I was saying. So I went over and picked up the thing that was going to kill me and handed it to him to throw at me and took the rock out of his hand and placed it back down on the stage because that was about to go bad for me. (laughs) But we think of this giant, right? We think of this giant. We think of this little David with this big giant. And you may look at your temptation this morning I mean, I mean, we could call out. We could start calling out what they are for you. But you know what it is. You know the thing that's eating away at your mind. You know the thing that's eating away at your heart. You, you know the thing, whether it's, whether it's greed, whether it's pride, whether it's... And, and, and all of those have, have things that fall underneath them. You know the temptation that's eaten at you. And for some of you, and for many of us, I would argue most of us, and I would even say if we're really, really brutally honest with ourselves this morning, it's all of us. We've got a giant in our life. We've got a giant. We've got a giant. And we're sitting here trying to figure out how in the world do I defeat this giant? And so when I think about the story of David and Goliath, or as my little friends from Santiago, Dominican Republic would say, Goliath. Every time I go back down to the DR, they say, Goliath, Goliath. Yeah, you killed me. I think of the giant. But in the story of David and Goliath, there's way more emphasis put on God and God's power and God's provision and the leading of God throughout that whole story. In fact, let's read a little portion of it. It's going to pop up on your screen. It comes from 1 Samuel 17, 47 through 50. And that all this assembling, we're, we're picking up right in the middle of this thing. There's so much before, there's so much after. But we're, we're, I, I just wanted you to see a little bit here this morning. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. You're not going to fight the way that this world wants you to fight or thinks you should fight or you think you should fight, right? Uh, it, and, but, but for the battle is the Lord's. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. The battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. Talking to Goliath. The battle's the Lord's. The temptation to give up on that husband, to give up on that wife, to give up on those kids, that's the battles the Lord's. 
The battle's the Lord's. He will give. You know what's amazing? The, the times when we, and, and when I say we, family, church, all of that, when we have, when we should have struggled the most financially was when we prospered the most. I will never forget a finance team member looking at me about four years ago and saying, if this church is still surviving in six months, it will be a miracle. Look, check, check it out. We did. First year ever we finished in the black as a, as a church, like in my church history. I grew, I grew, I was born in the choir loft of a church, not really, but essentially, Never seen that happen. Stop trying to fight your giant in your strength. The battle's the Lord's, David said. This battle is the Lord's. He's going to deliver you. He's going to give you into our hand. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose, Goliath, right, Goliath, arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. When I, when I read that this morning, again, that just jumped off the pages at me. You mean to tell me this big giant that was in front of David, or for us this morning, for our temptation that's in front of each and every one, David ran quickly to the battle? I don't know about you, but it's, it, I, that's not my norm. Oh, battle! Let me run quick. I want to face that thing. I'm sitting back here trying to figure out with, you know, come up with a plan. All right, if they throw this punch, I'm going to counter with this. I'm going to do. But David just ran quickly into the battle. He was ready for the battle. He knew whose battle it was. He knew that he was just a piece in this battle. He wasn't. He, he just ran toward the battle. To meet the Philistine, verse 49, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. There's far more emphasis put on the Lord in this story then there is Goliath and yet when we think about the giant in our life I don't know about you but I put far too much emphasis on the giant in my life as opposed to the victor and that is directly related to how armored up I am whether or not I've got the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. I'm leaving one out there. Doesn't matter. Shield, oh, I did the shield. Whatever. Oh, I got him. My perspective in the battle, my victory over this temptation is directly related to how armored up I am. So my question for you this morning as the worship team comes and we're going to sing a song. 
What's your giant? What's the thing this morning that you've just been the entire time during this message trying to justify away, trying to explain away to God? I know we're talking about temptation today, God, but I know that you're okay with that because of blank. Is he? What do you need to come face to face with this morning? And to follow that up, in what area of your life do you need to armor up? What area of your life do you need to armor up? When Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We're going to face temptation. It's common. We talked about that earlier. And when we're armored up, we run to the battle. And we get over it. We get over that giant. We get on to the next one. And what's awesome is when those giants become easier and easier and easier to defeat in our lives. That's when you know that maturity is happening, that growth is happening, that growth is happening. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to armor up, right? Armor up. Armor up so that we can fight the battles that we're going to fight this afternoon. Armor up so that you can love your kids well. Armor up so that you can thrive and excel in your marriage and not survive. Armor up. Armor up. Don't fight the devil in the dark. I know... This message for some of us can be a hard one, but my prayer for you today is that you claim the victory over what it is you're fighting, over that temptation you're facing. And if you're facing it, I can promise you that in a room this size, there's two or three other people facing it. So stop hiding. Stop hiding. Some of the most exhausted people I come across in ministry are those that are running and hiding, trying to hide their temptation, trying to hide their stuff, and just find some people that you can link your shield up with and fight the battle. Fight the battle. Claim the victory. He's already won it for you. Let's pray. God, today I pray
other word that comes to my mind is God, that we wouldn't retreat. God, I feel like for too long we as Christians have just been cowards and retreated and not fought the battle that you've called us to fight. Whether it be for fear, whether it be for lack of armor, whether it be for comfort, whatever that temptation may be that we place as higher value or higher comfort than, than overcoming the giants in our lives. God, I just pray against it right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that we would armor up and that we would get on the battleground and that we wouldn't view this place or this thing that we're doing week after week, day after day with you as a playground, but that, God, we would armor up and win the victory, claim the victory that you've already won for us over pornography, over alcoholism, adultery, over eating, gossiping, anything that we're battling this morning in this room, that you would help us and give us the strength to claim the victory that you sent your son to die for. God, I don't want to be a coward. I want to fight. I don't want to be all about comfort. I don't want to shrink in fear with the giants in my life. But I want to overcome with you. And I pray that for every person in this room in Jesus' name.